Welcome to Two Inches Off the Ground. Being enlightened is just like living two inches off the ground. If you like this podcast, it's so helpful to tell a friend. And please rate, review, subscribe wherever you listen. And if you are taking a long drive during the holidays, definitely a good time to listen to this podcast and the other podcasts in the Free Spirit Podcast brand. Some updates. I am creating a very simple, but I think it's kind of cute, a very nice website with contactless products, meaning no physical shipping. I'll have PDFs and services that support me and the continuing content of this show. I hope to have the website up in the next month or so. That's the goal. Also, if you listen to the Corporate Flight Attendant podcast, which is in the Free Spirit podcast brand, I aim to have a new episode up this week or next. I've been really busy with website creation, so I'm trying my best. So if you listen to that, in the next two weeks, something will be up. Okay, today we are talking about the Essenes And then a little story time at the end. And I think you guys will really enjoy this story. Some of you may have known it or heard it before, but this is a really good time during the holidays to hear it again. Again, the Essenes, I chose this for around the holidays because I'm going to go into the story of Mary and Joseph and Jesus's birth. This is a really complex story topic. Anyone, if you're listening or you know anyone who has a doctorate in theology or divinity, oh my God, no pun intended, but just even looking up the Holy Trinity, there are different interpretations of that. And I want everyone to understand I'll be discussing the Essenes and Jesus from a metaphysical perspective, not from a religious perspective. I'm not religious. Here in a Free Spirit podcast, we are metaphysically Switzerland. We believe in everyone's beliefs. Let's put it that way. All right. So on to the Essene topic. The Essenes were a Jewish sect circa 2nd century BC to 1st century AD. They were divided into two different sects. So you have the main Essenes that we know today, but then they had, they they split off into two different sects in that one group. The Qumran Essenes were in the south at the time near Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Now, if you look on a map today, for example, I Google mapped it, the Qumran capital is somewhere else, but we're talking about the Qumran Essenes at the time, and there's going to be an article in the show notes, and they have a map where you have the article, and trust me, this article is super dense. You just need to scroll down to the end, and you will see the map of Israel at the time of Jesus. So you see Judea and Galilee. So you'll understand where the Essenes are living. So anyway, the Qumran Essenes are in the south near Jerusalem and Bethlehem, and the Mount Carmel Essenes are in northern Israel. Today, we will be discussing the Mount Carmel Essenes. The Qumran Essenes lived by the Ten Commandments. They really lived by the book. These are the rules of religion as we know them today. So that's 
what people normally conceptualize as the Essenes. Today, we're going to be talking about the Mount Carmel Essenes. They lived by metaphysical principles and higher consciousness. Evidence points to that Jesus, or his Hebrew name, Yeshua, was raised as a Mount Carmel Essene in Nazareth. That's why they call him Jesus of Nazareth, where the Mount Carmel Essenes lived. The Mount Carmel Essenes knew the master, or Jesus, was coming for centuries. He wasn't a surprise. Often when you see movies or TV, he's a surprise. Everyone's shocked that Jesus is coming, but this wasn't a surprise to them. They were expecting it. The women of the community were chosen to be a vessel for the birth of Jesus. Mary was one of these chosen women. Here is a quote from Edgar Cayce's story of Jesus. And for those of you who don't know, Edgar Cayce was this amazing channeler who lived between 1877. He died in 1945. And he has his big center down in Virginia, A-R-E. And he's known as one of the best channelers that the world has seen. And here is what he channeled. The Essenes dedicated their lives, their minds, their bodies to a purpose, to a seeking that for which had been to them a promise of the old. Hence, there was a continued preparation and dedication of those who might be the channels through which this chosen vessel might enter through choice into this material realm. Thus, in Carmel, where there were the chief priests and leaders of the faith, there were the maidens chosen who were dedicated to this purpose. Among them was Mary, the beloved, the chosen one. In regard to pronunciation, I've seen the pronunciation a couple different ways. You can say Mount Carmel, you can say Mount Carmel. I'm going to say Mount Carmel because I actually grew up, this is so random, I'll talk about this in another episode, I actually grew up next to a monastery of Mount Carmel nuns, and I ended up volunteering for them at the age of 12. So that is, now that I'm an adult, I think about that's the most random thing ever, but I've had that experience, even though I'm not religious, and I'll talk about it in another episode. Mary and Joseph came from prominent Essene families. Mary was 16 when Jesus was born and Joseph was 18. Originally, they thought Mary was as young as 11 or 12, but now scholars are saying she was closer to 16 and 18. It's funny when you watch on TV, sometimes they have these actresses who are 35 and are Mary giving birth to Jesus. And obviously at the time that wasn't happening because she probably wouldn't be alive. And I'm pretty sure she wasn't alive by the age of 35, for example. Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem and Mary gave birth to Jesus. And shortly after the family fled to Egypt because King Herod wanted to kill the baby Jesus. He saw him as a threat. After Herod's death, the family returned to Nazareth 
and the Mount Carmel Essene community where Jesus was raised. So according to this, in everything I've researched, and keep in mind, some of what I'm saying is controversial. People don't accept it. And, and it's understandable because a lot of people say that Jesus was actually a um, Qumran Essene. But really, when you see where Jesus lived and there's other evidence such as him, and I believe it was John the Baptist, not knowing each other, it was a, such a small community in those days that John the Baptist was in Qumran, Jesus was up in Mount Carmel, it, it just didn't make sense if they're both in Mount Carmel or they're both in Qumran that they had never heard of each other. So there's a lot of evidence pointing to Jesus as a Mount Carmel Essene. And also if you look at some of his teachings, they come across, some of them to me at least, as very metaphysical. For example, if you think of Jesus, the lost years, where they say that Jesus just disappeared. They think he went to Asia and came back with almost Buddhist-like teachings. But that may have just been him now teaching as a Mount Carmel Essene. Just an idea to throw out there. The Mount Carmel Essenes really lived two inches off the ground. I think they definitely lived two feet off the ground when you think of this podcast, they knew how to live life. Their guiding principle was the Holy Trinity, the Heavenly Father, or they called it the Heavenly Father. I would call it uh, God, higher consciousness, the universe. The Heavenly Father was at the top of the triangle, if you think of something like a Holy Trinity, right? The individual was in the middle, and the earthly mother was at the base. So you have the universe, the self, and the earthly mother. The Essenes did not believe in duality, for example, good and evil. Every morning and every night they had rituals. In the morning they faced the sun, prayed to the earthly mother, and bathed in cold water. They changed into their sacred linen garments and ate breakfast. Then they changed into their work garments and worked until sundown. At dinner, they wore their sacred garments again and prayed to the Heavenly Father. If you think about that day, it's very simple. It's very routine, but they were happy people. So they must have found joy, as I'm about to talk about, in this simplicity. And keep, I, I said the word simplicity. I'm going to go back to this. During the day, they spoke gently with grace and dignity to one another. Doesn't that sound nice? That just sounds really nice. <laughs> if we could all just do that. And one of their main principles was joy. The Essenes felt if you weren't joyful, you were merely surviving. For example, every job in the Essene community was done with joy. And I had talked about this in my other podcast, this concept with the Essenes. If you were a dishwasher, a gardener, a pants maker, that energy of love and joy was infused into every task. Imagine what the food must have tasted like. Imagine the vibration of the dish given to you. Imagine what your clothes must have felt like. It must have been the most high vibrational, incredible feeling. I think that's pretty cool. 
And what happened to people who, you know, Mount Carmel Essenes who weren't really digging this principle or any of these principles? It was very simple. If you didn't like it, you were out. The Essenes only lived with other Essenes. They lived by the law of attraction and believed in living in and with the flow of the universe. Everything was with the flow of the universe. And this is something that I've been actively working on. And sources, you know, as I say, I can feel the Reiki firing up in my fingers and it's starting to now. I, I've really been trying to let go and just just be in the flow. And that I think that's a good New Year's resolution for me for 2021. The Essenes lived by vibrational frequency and they vibrated in what I would say is the 5D consciousness and beyond. They believed in past lives or reincarnation. In fact, the goal of every life was to experience joy in your carnation. In Edgar Cayce's story of Jesus, he channels, this is interesting, listen to this, he channels that Jesus is a reincarnation of Adam from the garden of Adam and Eve, and that Jesus, from that point when he was Adam, kept reincarnating until he was Jesus. There's a theory, and it's not Edgar Casey's theory, but I just thought I'd throw that out there, that past lives are actually the soul at different frequencies. For example, if I had a past life where I was a pioneer woman in the West, well, that's not a past life. That's just me vibrating at a different frequency. It's something to think about. And I've been thinking about this concept a lot, and I definitely want to do an episode on it, but I need to gather research before I do it. But Something I thought I'd throw out there. In the Mount Carmel Essene community, there was no exchange of money. I had a friend or a coworker who was an Orthodox Jewish person. She told me that they did not exchange money on the Sabbath. I don't know if it's true for unorthodox Jewish people, just I don't know how to say it, regular Jewish people. But um, that's what she did, and she told me they did. This idea, you know, it's descended down from the Mount Carmel Essenes. Vulgar people were not allowed. Only those who lived by the Essene principles were allowed into the community. They served as therapists to outside communities because they themselves didn't need therapy. It was forbidden to harm even a tree or disturb natural life in any way. The Essenes were vegetarians and there is an Essene sect in California. I looked this up and to this day they are vegetarians and in fact they have vegetarian potluck dinners just so you know. Perhaps the most important principle of the Mount Carmel Essenes and I honestly couldn't believe it when I heard it because if you've listened to the past two episodes you're gonna know why is to keep thing simple, right? We keep coming back to this principle. Source loves this message. Source keeps giving me this message to tell you. Think of how the Essenes lived. Think of their day and how ritualistic it was and how happy they were. They lived their life in simplicity. 
this is a great theme for the great conjunction, which is going on today of December 21st or the winter solstice with Jupiter and with Saturn, and then moving into the collective for 2021. Keep things simple. So I want to move on from the Essenes a little bit. And I thought it would be kind of nice to do a holiday story or what I would say is a holiday story. It's just nice for people to hear right now. I was thinking about the idea of Mary as the protector, the Virgin Mary as the protector. If anyone watched the movie or read the book Under the Tuscan Sun, full disclosure, I've only watched the movie and I've heard it's discussed more in depth in the book. But in the movie, well, the movie is came out, I would say, 25 years ago is my guess. It stars Diane Lane. She's a divorced woman who buys a house in Italy. It's a money pit, and she's fixing it up. It's all about how she's fixing it up. And there's a massive storm, and she gets scared, and she prays to the Virgin Mary, and she hides in her bed. And she says at the end that the Virgin Mary stayed with her and shielded her from the storm. And this, again, I haven't read the book, but the movie was not religious at all to me. So I, th I thought it was interesting that people will call in Mary as a protector, even if they're not religious. She is a great source. Remember, she was living. She was a human being at one point. So I think it's kind of an interesting concept to call her in, which leads me to my protector, who I call in, who is Archangel Michael or Saint Michael, which I know a lot of you know who he is and you call him in too. I've called him in, for example, to protect my dog if he goes too far into the woods and I get nervous or I get upset. I, I will call on Archangel Michael and I'll say, Archangel Michael, please, please put a white light around this dog. Please protect him. Thank you so much. There are so many stories of where people call for his protection and he comes. And usually he comes in whatever form it is with strength and power. And I've heard everything from his voice to his form is so strong and so big and all-encompassing. In form, he's often seen as a huge man, but very strong and gentle. As a light form, he's often seen as very long and fills up the space, and he's often seen wielding a sword. I share this story of Archangel Michael today because it's beautiful. I think you'll love it, and a lot of you may know it. And if you do know it, then it's a good time to listen to it again, right? And if you need extra support right now, you can always call on him. He appears all over the universe in limitless amounts of forms to help us. Never, ever hesitate to call on him. Nothing is ever too small for St. Michael. Keep in mind, I call on him, as I said, for my dog. He has a prayer called Michael of the Morning. Now, when I call on him, I don't use the prayer. I just call on him. But I'm going to give you the prayer just in case you're interested. Michael, Michael of the Morning, fresh cores of heaven adorning. Keep me safe today, and in time of temptation, drive the evil away. Here is a famous letter of an American Marine in the Korean War who writes to his mother. Dear Mom, I wouldn't dare write this letter to anyone but you because no one else would believe it. 
Maybe even you will find it hard, but I've got to tell somebody. First off, I am in a hospital. Now don't worry, you hear me. Don't worry. I was wounded, but I'm okay, you understand, okay? The doctor says that I will be up and around in a month, but that's not what I want to tell you. Remember when I joined the Marines last year? Remember when I left? How you told me to say a prayer to St. Michael every day? You really didn't have to tell me that. Ever since I can remember, you always told me to pray to St. Michael, the Archangel. You even named me after him. Well, I always have. When I got to Korea, I prayed even harder. Remember the prayer that you taught me? Michael, Michael of the morning, fresh cord of heaven adorning. You know the rest of it. Well, I said it every day. Sometimes when I was marching or sometimes resting, but always before I went to sleep, I even got some of the other fellas to say it. Well, one day, I was with an advanced detail way up over the front lines. We were scouting for the commies. I was plodding along in the bitter cold. My breath was like cigar smoke. I thought I knew every guy in the patrol. When alongside of me comes another Marine I never met before. He was bigger than any other Marine I'd ever seen. He must have been six foot four and built in proportion. It gave me a feeling of security to have such a body near. Anyway, there we were trudging along, the rest of the patrol spread out. Just to start conversation, I said, cold, ain't it? And then I laughed. Here I was with a good chance of getting killed any minute, and I'm talking about the weather. My companion seemed to understand. I heard him laugh softly. I looked at him. I have never seen you before. I thought I knew every man in the outfit. I just joined at the last minute he replied. The name is Michael. Is that so? I said, surprised. That's my name too. I know, he said, and then went on. Michael, Michael of the morning. I was too amazed to say anything for a minute. How did he know my name in a prayer that you had taught me? Then I smiled to myself. Every guy in the outfit knew about me. Hadn't I taught the prayer to anybody who would listen why now and then they even referred to me as St. Michael. Neither of us spoke for a time, and then he broke the silence. We are going to have some trouble up ahead. He must have been in fine physical shape, or he was breathing so lightly I couldn't see his breath. Mine poured out in great clouds. There was no smile on his face now. Trouble ahead, I thought to myself. Well, with the commies all around us, that is no great revelation. Snow began to fall in great thick globs. In a brief moment, the whole countryside was blotted out, and I was marching in a white fog of sticky particles. My companion disappeared. Michael! I shouted in sudden alarm. I felt his hand on my arm. His voice was rich and strong. This will stop shortly. His prophecy proved to be correct. In a few minutes, the snow stopped as abruptly as it had begun. The sun was a hard shining disk. I looked back for the rest of the patrol. There was no one in sight. We lost them in that heavy fall of snow. I looked ahead as we came over, a little rise. Mom, my heart stopped. There were seven of them, seven commies in their padded pants and jackets and their funny hats, 
only there wasn't anything funny about them now. Seven rifles were aimed at us. Down, Michael, I screamed and hit the frozen earth. I heard those rifles fire almost as one. I heard the bullets. There was Michael still standing. Mom, those guys couldn't have missed, not at that range. I expected to see him literally blown to bits, but there he stood, making no effort to fire himself. He was paralyzed with fear. It happens sometimes, Mom, even to the bravest. He was like a bird fascinated by a snake. At least, that's what I had thought. I jumped up to pull him down, and that was when I got mine. I felt a sudden flame in my chest. I often wondered what it felt like to be hit. Now I know. I remember feeling strong arms around me, arms that laid me ever so gently on a pillow of snow. I opened my eyes for one last look. I was dying. Maybe I was even dead. I remember thinking, well, this is not so bad. Maybe I was looking into the sun. Maybe I was in shock. But it seemed I saw Michael standing erectly again. Only this time his face was shining with a terrible splendor. As I say, maybe it was the sun in my eyes, but he seemed to change as I watched him. He grew bigger, his arms stretched out wide. Maybe it was the snow falling again, but there was a brightness around him, like the wings of an angel. In his hands was a sword, a sword that flashed with a million lights. Well, that is the last thing I remember, until the rest of the fellows came and found me. I do not know how much time had passed. Now and then, I had but a moment's rest from the pain and fever. I remember telling them of the enemy just ahead. Where is Michael? I asked. I saw them look at one another. Where is who? asked one. Michael, Michael, the big Marine I was walking with just before the snow squall hit us. Kid, said the sergeant. You weren't walking with anyone. I had my eyes on you the whole time. You were getting too far out. I was just going to call you in when you disappeared in the snow. He looked at me curiously. How did you do it, kid? How'd I do what? I asked, half angry, despite my wound. This Marine named Michael and I were just... Son, said the sergeant kindly. I picked out this outfit myself. And there just ain't another Michael in it. You were the only Mike in it. He paused for a minute. Just how did you do it, kid? We heard shots. There hasn't been a shot fired from your rifle. And there isn't a bit of lead in them seven bodies over the hill there. I didn't say anything. What could I say? I can only look open mouth with amazement. It was then the sergeant spoke again. Kid, he said gently. Every one of those seven commies was killed by a sword stroke. That is all I can tell you, Mom. As I say, it may have been the sun in my eyes. It may have been the cold or the pain. But that is what happened. Love, Michael. Happy holidays to everyone, whatever you celebrate. I will be back with an episode next week from Source to guide us into the new year. In the meantime, live your life two inches off the ground.